You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is Jim Croson and Ryan Starrett, and we are here with a bonus podcast for Ole Miss Week. We are joined by Banner Society's own Stephen Godfrey. Stephen, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, y'all. How are y'all? Ward Amigo. Yeah, absolutely. Ward Amigo. <laughs> Ward Am. Little, little known fact we just found out. Stephen Godfrey, Camp War Eagle attendee. I like Ward Yeah. Yeah, you're cutting out a little bit, but that's okay. That's that's not worse than the normal audio quality. Right, turn, turn my video off. Okay. There we go. I turned my video off, so that's much better. I was saying was um, I like War Dam as a greeting. Sure. Absolutely. And I like to finish it with anything else besides Eagle most of the time. Okay. Yeah. War Dam basketball. Right, War Dam basketball. War Dam Miller Lite. War Dam. Yeah. yeah. I remember I got in trouble for what? having a WDE sticker on my car in high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very much, I very much enjoy that Auburn is now a basketball school. Uh, on, on That works on so many strange and uncomfortable levels for so many different reasons, but I love that Auburn is a basketball school. Well, I think we – Makes absolutely no sense. I, Especially with Bruce Pearl. I think we figured yeah. out that, like, college basketball recruiting is actually more dirty than college football recruiting could ever be. And we were kind of just like, yeah, well, hell, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've been I've been patted on the head by several people in the in the uh, I got to be careful what I said to be honest. Um, the apparel industry, yeah. uh, people who have, have come across my reporting about football and, and just kind of gently patted me on the head and said, "If you want to see something that really blows your hair back, come over to basketball for uh, for one season." Yeah, the amount of money that must train hands for kids that are like program changing type kids in basketball because one kid so, can change it. And that's the thing is like, and I know Auburn has familiarity with this sort of conversation and that people kind of reduce everything to cam, but that's such a rare example in the sport of football. Whereas in basketball, I mean, you know, ask a Kansas fan or a Duke fan or whatever, like, yeah, it is, it is one individual. And because there's only, Hey, five guys on the floor, like it just, the money is still there. It just drives the price up on the individual. And I think it, it really does change the dynamic of what goes on under the table. It's, it's very different than football. Right. Very different. All right. So well, speaking of cam and yeah. you know, $180,000, uh, that, that popped back up in the news today with LSU. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Um, uh, I haven't completely processed everything that's gone on except that it, it's, it's about what I expected. Um, the OB, I tell you what, the smartest thing that it could happen to LSU is the OBJ stuff because it actually it keeps um, it kind of keeps the focus on a very silly on field incident right. and away from the from systemic program issues, which is the best way that I think that you can play that in public. Yeah, I have a question that uh, I've been wanting to actually ask you. So, from a national perspective, it appears that there is a narrative that Auburn fans are crazy. And mm-hmm. firing your coach, Auburn just hair trigger for firing coaches. 
but you would know better than anybody else. Are Auburn fans actually any crazier than any other major college fan base? I think they've been made crazy. Um, And and this is not a joke. This is something I spend probably an inordinate amount of time thinking about because of the dynamics that go on in the Southeastern Conference. I think that when I say they've been made crazy, what I'm specifically saying is everything after Nick Saban gets hired by Alabama changes the complexion of the entire sport. Right. I mean, that's fair to say, right? 100%. So along, yeah, so along those lines, when you look at the ripple effect of who's involved in that, Auburn is at the dead center in a way in which that Tennessee and, and Florida and, and LSU aren't. And then as you go further on out, obviously it affects other programs, but uh, Auburn has had to deal with, you know, I guess you can call it the nastiest or most passionate rivalry in the sport, however you want to frame it. Um, having your counterpart, especially who you had the, the advantage of the advantage over for so long, um, be so effective and so ruthlessly efficient. And then your sort of machinations to counter that not living up to it because no one's could. It's, right. it, it's not a fault of Auburn's in terms, in terms of coaches they've hired or anything like that. This is just the reality of the situation. And so, I think any fan base would have been driven mad by this. I don't think it's – so I want to be very clear. It's not that there's something specific to people from South Alabama or something like that. I think it's just that any fan base that sees an in-state rival achieve what what Alabama has and then has to answer it in that same time period, I, I think anybody would, would, would end up in a very similar situation. Yeah, which I think – and I think – you guys wrote a piece a couple of years ago about basically like why your team can't compete with Alabama. I think, I don't know, that wasn't the name of it, but it detailed um, how much, what percentage of university expenditure Alabama spends on football versus like every right. other program. And I think Auburn was second in America and even Auburn was like 20% lower or something than Alabama. And, right, right. and it's like nobody, unless your university is willing to put, the entire university system behind winning football games. There's not, and Auburn's darn near close to doing it. There's not any. We haven't sacrificed a, uh, another city campus like UAB. Right. AUM is still doing, still doing great. I I think, I think outside of the state of Alabama, the perception is actually that they're equals. And I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is the correct perception or not. But I'm telling you from a national media perspective as well as a southern perspective, because I live in Nashville and you know, I think Nashville actually has a pretty pretty substantial quotient of Auburn alumni and fans. Yeah. But the the perception is you're living through an era that you just simply cannot compete because of the one individual and then obviously the system he creates. I don't think the perception is that Auburn has been a lesser than or or has failed to live up to a financial aspect, be it above board, below board, or sideways. I think, honestly, when you're talking about the, the 10 best jobs in America, I think you're an idiot if you don't include Auburn, no matter what the decade is. Right. I mean, if you're talking about, I, 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 cre- I create all of my judgment or context is the modern era. And to me, the modern era begins when the BCS is created and when television money starts to approach the, the sort of crazy figures that we've seen. So that's around 98, 97 in there. That, to me, also the formation of the Big 12, we kind of understand the identity of college football at that point. So from that point on, to look at Auburn as anything other 
10 best jobs in America to me. It's cool. So I, I think that this perception that you're crazy, I think you've been driven mad by something that not only was so efficient in Tuscaloosa, so ruthless in the way that they got behind it. And then also think about all the times things have just broke Alabama's way. Right. It's insane. I mean, you know, the comparison to the New England Patriots is, is apt in that way. And that like, you're talking about two or three plays and the New England Patriots have half as many Super Bowl titles. Right. And I think in Alabama's case, there are so many situations in which Alabama doesn't even go to the BCS championship or the playoff. I mean, I know Auburn fans think of, look, I, I'm going to tell you this. I'm an Atlanta, I'm an Atlanta sports fan have been my entire life. And I, I'm sure there's people in the Auburn footprint that feel that way. I know you think like this because I do. And if you're looking across and hating your rival, I've been there. I get that, you know, be it whatever the saints or, you know, the, the Patriots or whatever. Like when you look at Alabama and I don't care if it's like Oklahoma state not being able to close against Iowa state and then Alabama getting a rematch rematch against LSU and that boom, that's a national championship. Right. Right. Think about how many instances we've seen, you know, Ole Miss could have won the sec West if not for a fourth and what are the 26 against Arkansas that year. Alabama not only wins the SEC West, they go on to win the national title. Like, yeah. there are so many instances of Alabama edging in. And so not only is it the efficiency, but I also think it's the sort of created luck that Alabama's had that would drive anyone crazy. So this is a long way of saying that I don't fault Auburn fans for their behavior or the way that they perceive what's going on. Yeah. And I think the, the problem so many people have, though, is that we've seen Auburn compete with Alabama on the field. I mean, they're they're as good they as anybody them. in the country with playing with Alabama and sure, them sure, yeah, over, over the last decade, and then just no success against Georgia, no success against LSU. Um, so it's it's kind of a dichotomy of like, how can we do this and play with Alabama and just be not competitive with these other rivals? I think it's um, it's a strange situation, and I know that. You know, I, I have a term that I've used on the different podcasts I go on called anxiety bowl. And an anxiety bowl is defined as any game in the regular season in which both coaching staffs feel like if we lose this one, we are officially going to like be in the crosshairs, not the hot seat, but the we're going to get fired. Like, you know, I got to figure out my mortgage payments or I got to figure out what like got to pull my kids out of school. That level of hot seat. That's what I'm talking about. So it's more than just hot. Right. Seat. Because you can go to these websites like Coach's Hot Seat, and you've got 40 coaches are, are on a hot seat, and usually 30 of them are not. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's 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 a misused concept. When I say anxiety bowl, and I and I used Auburn, South Carolina as an anxiety bowl last week, it is, hey guys, this is probably it for us, and we've got to start making other plans. And and since I created that term a couple years ago on the old show podcast, ain't played nobody. Auburn has been in more anxiety bowls in the Gus Malzahn era than any other school. It's, it's not even – number two is not even close. Right. It really is. And a lot of people have misinterpreted my commentary on Auburn as, oh, well, they're insane and they expect too much. Again, no. I think the standards of the situation are what they are. I don't think any Auburn fan or, or the athletic director, whoever it may be at a point in time, or a group of boosters or people in the media are going to step out and say, you know what? Auburn's content with being a lesser than or a second place team to Alabama as long as Nick Saban's in Tuscaloosa. No one's going to say that. Right. No one's going to develop players like that. No one's going to spend money in fundraising like that. That's just not what Auburn's going to do. They're not going, and they shouldn't have to, right? So accordingly, you kind of have to look crazy to people outside of the state in order to try and keep pace. And so I know the PR sucks, but 
I understand the sport, and I think people who do understand the sport understand that Auburn is going to bleed themselves dry as long as they can stay in punching distance of what's going on in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. And I think, like, we are pretty not staunch Gus supporters at this point. I think most people at our at our blog are not on the Gus bus, as it were, as it were, were to be said. But, like, I think we're all on the same page that the buyout is $21.5 million. Correct. And I don't know if the public relations hit of paying $21.5 million in the midst of a global pandemic is worth who, I mean, whoever you're going to get to come in. Well, so let's play a game. I tell you what, let's play a game. Because this is what Auburn fans who are listening probably really want to know from someone like sure. me. Let's not let's not worry about the PR for a second. Because if anywhere, and you you can get away with a garish move for football in the SEC and specifically the state of Alabama. Right. By the way, I'm not saying that like I'm from New Hampshire, like I'm from Georgia, and I went to Ole Miss. <laughs> so I was like, I get, it. I'm, I'm I'm you know I'm a kissing cousin. Right. Um, but let's not worry about PR for a second. Here's my current feel about the situation. When I talk to different people who have different levels of involvement with Auburn, and it can be booster, fan, blogger, reporter, or, or agent in, in college football who knows people at Auburn or maybe has a coach or whatever. Anytime I talk to those people, what I've noticed is when I say, when I say hey, what would you do? As in, like, what, who would you go after? I get wildly different lists. And so in all the years I've been doing this, what that tells me is there's no consensus from the people who make the big decision. And accordingly, that tells me it's not time to go yet. It's not time to pull the trigger. Because when you make a move this big and you you deal with a buyout this substantial, especially in COVID and everything else that's going on, because the, the financial tail of COVID is going to impact all of college athletics for probably five years, yeah. five fiscal years at least, okay? If you're going to do this, I need, as an objective member of the media, what I need to hear to understand this is we want X. And I hear that from five people, 10 people, 15 people, where the same name keeps coming up. And the problem, in my opinion, at Auburn right now is I hear I hear 20 different names. I mean, y'all, I heard Will Muschamp as recently as this oh, year. <laughs> that name will never go away. Oof, magoof. Just him and Bobby Petrino, I think, will be on every uh, yeah every Auburn fans list until the next till they die. I don't know. Right, you'll probably hear Jimbo so, too at some point, which would be hilarious. Oh god. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because I know those. I, I mean, I understand. Obviously, Petrino's got a specific history with what happened in '04, and you know, to some degree, Jimbo has a specific history in the UAB stuff. And I, I get all that, but I, I would say the ship has officially sailed on those two individuals. If you're looking at a list right now, I don't know if there's an obvious one, two, three. Now I can tell you who, if I'm, if I'm Alan Green, like, not that I think athletic directors even make these hires anymore, to be honest, right. but like if I'm running the show in a smoke filled room, I could give you a list. But I don't even know right now if I were to take that list to the smoke-filled room in Mobile or Opelika or Birmingham that people would agree with me. Right. And so the, the, the infuriating thing about Gus until very, very recently, in my opinion, is that he's been efficient, just efficient enough to drive you crazy and that you can't create a consensus that it's no longer working. And I think what, what adds to the madness of Auburn is 
you have this offensive revolutionary in 2013 who's still your head coach in 2020, but probably the calling card among people in the industry that I talk to is your defense, Yeah. right? Kevin Steele having the second life, creating these players. Like I'm a big Falcons fan. So like Marlon Davidson, for instance, like these guys have been unbelievable. I believed going into the LSU game last year that Auburn had the best defense, if not at least the best front seven in the nation. And I, I believed that for a long time. It's strange because that's not what was supposed to be winning Auburn football games. That wasn't supposed to be what kept Auburn in football games. And now that that's falling apart after South Carolina, um, I mean, I, I, I would assume people would believe that, yeah, I have a degree from Ole Miss, but I'm far from a fan. Um, I think Ole Miss presents a very clear danger to Auburn this weekend because of what they do and because of what I saw on the edges last week, specifically with South Carolina. And I'm not a tactician. I'm not an X and O guy. But I think everyone right now around Auburn notices that there's a serious problem on defense and Kiffin's offense, which is it, it's a lot of like spit and tape. It's designed specifically to stress the stress Auburn in the places they're already having trouble with. Yeah. Does that make no, sense? No, for sure. So let's say hypothetically for a second. Now, I will say historically, like Auburn tends to break well against Ole Miss. So, but let's just say for a second, they're they're they lose to Ole Miss, which is a far inferior team, a far less talented team, especially on defense. Good lord, let's say they they get upset again this weekend. I don't know as angry as people are going to be on Saturday night if if there's going to be that one name, if there's going to be that one individual that everyone can live with, rally behind, and then can get people excited enough for those checks to get written to come up with that buyout money. Because as far as I know, as far as it's been explained to me by the, by the language of the contract, if you set sail with Gus in December, you owe him half of that buyout within about 30 days. That's a lot of money in a good year. That's an astronomical sum in 2020. Yeah. I believe that most estimates see that athletic departments around the SEC are going to be about taking about 40% hit this year. Um, and so you, you have that, like, the, like you said, the COVID economy is going to take five years to bounce back. And that's before we get into the whole idea of our ratings continue to go up or the TV deal is going to get bigger and bigger. Uh, is the money going to keep getting bigger, even though the economy is going to take five years to bounce back? Like, I, that's the, the money is the real, is the real, um, driver is in the driver's seat here and like well yeah i mean as an example like to me there was more pressure on jimbo fisher in the spring when crude oil bottomed out because of what was going on in saudi arabia than there was on jimbo fisher because of what his offense looks like and i know people may think that i'm being far-fetched there but the reality is like the way big boy contract work is done in the sec it's really it comes down to a group of five or ten or maybe 15 people at tops to handle these situations and if their money is good and their prospects are better, then they'll make it happen. We all know this kind of stuff happens, obviously. Like, I think we're finally living in an era that I feel like I hope I've helped usher in where we're no longer kidding ourselves about what happens in these rooms. So if people around Auburn and the people who are pulling big triggers feel financially confident, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying as someone objectively in the national media – you better damn sure have somebody that you can all ra- rally around and feel like you're embarking on an era that is equal to and potentially superior than Nick Saban. 
Yeah. And I welcome I welcome anyone to bring me that name. Right I'm now. living here in Texas right now. And I talked to my brother who's an Auburn fan, but also he's, he is in a Texas family. Like his father-in-law is a giant Texas fan, all that stuff. And to hear him talk about what Texas fans think about Herman, that to me is the danger. The danger is not, oh, we, we get rid of Gus and we find the right guy who's just going to take a couple years. The danger is you end up like Texas. You get rid of Mac Brown and you end up with with whatever they've been doing since then. Like literally whatever they've been doing since 2011 has been not up to their standard and they can't, they can't find it. Right. So if you're an Auburn fan or, or a booster, someone who's living and dying every week, which is, uh, you know, obviously or arguably everybody's listening to this. Uh, how, how painful is patience? Yeah. How powerful is patience and how painful is patience? Because, you need to look specifically at the personnel and figure out what – I don't know if the ceiling has truly been established for your quarterback. I don't know if the floor has been either. I We said this – I was on Split Zone Duo with Richard Johnson and Alex, Alex Kirchner, formerly of Banner Society, and uh, I was a guest on that show, and, and I, we talked about how different would Bo be evaluated if that jump ball at the end of Oregon goes the other way. Right. Because – what happens is, and, and I am the guilty part, I'm, I'm part of the guilty party here, is he throws that jump ball and Auburn wins that game last year. And we get into the narrative building business. And I think it skews expectations on what Auburn was dealing with and what they had and what they had and what they didn't have. And all of a sudden it was, we're creating a legend, which I, I mean, look, y'all, everybody just got a little bit ahead of it. Yeah, I mean, like his, his yards per attempt are atrocious. Atrocious. Right. And, and and that's okay. Well, I don't know if it's okay now in October of 2020, but the growing pains that I saw on the back end of the season made sense relative to what was going on and, and his age and his development. And so, again, I, you know, I'm not trying to be a broken record. It goes back to the really infuriating thing that Gus does where he's never systemically awful. I can show you systemically awful head coaching and, and systemically awful programs that where you're seeing talent that doesn't develop. You're seeing schematics that don't work. I'm hearing about it in, in my gossip text with other coaches where they're saying, you know, look at this SOB. He doesn't know what he's doing, like and laughing about it on Sunday afternoons and everyone's looking at film. Gus is never that person. Gus is never considered to be the butt of any joke which I know just makes it more infuriating for Auburn because it would be easier if Gus just laid down and died and you went two and 10. Yeah. That would make a lot of problems go away. I think, I think what my always, I always say about Gus is that his, his floor is probably too low for most Auburn fans, but his ceiling is too high to ever get Like his ceilings are the fall of 2017 when we beat number one, Georgia and turn around beat number one, Alabama. And then his floor is then you, lay an egg in the SEC championship game against Georgia in a couple of weeks. Like it just, that Mike, that's the microcosm of the Gus Malzahn experience and what got him his giant contract. I will say this. There's some things that really interest me about Auburn that have not been scratched at too much yet, which is let's play the what if game. What if you turn Tim Tim Cook into your own modern day T Boone Pickens? I'm not saying it would happen. Right. But what if? Where's where are his allegiances right now, and how much could could Auburn, the right people at Auburn, and I'll leave that up to y'all to figure out who the right people are. 
But let's just say the right people at Auburn figure out how to turn one of the most powerful people in the free freaking world into someone who cares about Auburn on a week-in, week-out win-loss basis. I'm serious. You do that, and you rally people around him. What does that look like? Okay, He's a Gus guy, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. No, no. He was honorary captain. And I know he's, you know, Gus went out and talked. I mean, I've, I, you know, I, I've been informed in, in several quiet corners about his sort of affiliation with Auburn football coming via Gus Malzahn. Right. Okay. He's, he's the guy that everybody's tried to land for the last, you know, however long he's been in charge of Apple. And it seemed like that never happened until yeah, Gus and, got involved. And that makes total sense because modern athletic directors are all just inherently fundraisers, right. which makes most of them scummy human beings. Right. I mean, the, the switch with athletic directors used to be good old boys, and now they're parasites. And I'm not saying they're all parasites. I'm saying that it's, it ends up being the exception to the rule where some of them are actually humane. And the big complaint I hear in the coaching world is these guys are wheeling and dealing like car salesmen when in actuality they don't understand specifics that have to do with football. Whereas it used to be ADs were these like, you know, coaches that were sort of pushed into a corner office who were trying to armchair everything, right. such as what is still happening in Knoxville. But so, you, you know, you kind of pick your poison in that regard. And I don't know, you know, I, I Alan probably falls somewhere in, in, in that spectrum. I don't think he falls to one side or the other necessarily. And I think he's a good athletic director for what it's worth. Um, it makes sense to court Tim Cook. It makes sense to get people excited about a modern Auburn. What does that look like if Apple throws its weight behind Auburn? You know, to me, I think people, I think people on the planes, and I don't have a horse in the race, y'all. Except that I will say I was a student at Auburn for nine days, 21 years ago. Um, God, I'm old. Uh, people on the planes, I think, have, have fallen prey to judging every single thing about Auburn as a brand in finite, immediate terms. Whereas I think good boosters and good bagmen and good athletic directors and all the people who make the things happen, they think in future tense. Now, not far future, but but future tense. And I think what Auburn has fallen prey to is just waking up every day and seeing Nick Saban across the street. And I think what really needs to happen at Auburn is a fundamental philosophical shift of what does the SEC look like in 2025? Yeah. Because if I had, because look, the, the bottom line is this: there are haves and there are have-nots in the best conference in college football. You are a have. Congratulations. How do you stay on top of the haves? That's it. Yeah. The only have that I've seen become a have-not in my lifetime at 39 years old is Tennessee. Just figure out how not to do that and figure out how to stay, uh, I would say, you know, say stay in pace with LSU and stay in pace with Florida. That's important because Alabama can't sustain this, and we know that. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Well, Stephen, thanks for coming on. Uh, before you go, please give us a Quick plug for what you're doing right now. Uh, yeah, uh, bannersociety.com at 38 Godfrey on Instagram at 38 Godfrey on Twitter at Banner Society. We do uh, Instagram for old, which is exactly it what is it sounds the best like. If you feel it, I, I do it. I watch it every <laughs> Saturday. Um, if you're tired and haggard and you're starting to get gray in your hair, um, I'm right there with you. So of course what we did is we got on a social media platform designed for 19 year olds mm-hmm. and we complain about things on Saturday morning. Cause the bottom line is this, None of us can drink like we used to, and we're all up at 7 a.m. anyway. So um, come join me on that stuff, and uh, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, and also, real quick, give us a one-sentence review of the new Sturgill Simpson record. 
Okay, so so it's funny because right before I came on, uh, eating dinner with the family, and that was my third go round. Um, I, I some of his older stuff applied to a bluegrass arrangement. I think it's just it really is beautiful. It really is amazing how versatile he is, and um, it's really exciting because. I was one of the people who kind of hung tight on the last one. I know it was more experimental. Um, I think it was called, is it called Sound and Fury? The one where it's just like absolutely yeah, bonkers, the, the anime thing. Like, yeah. Um, I think I'm at the point, I'm, at, I'm in rare, rare air with him, which is I will follow him in whatever direction he goes, yeah. which is, uh, is not something I can say about a lot of artists. Well, cool. Thanks a lot, Steven. Really, really a treat. All right, you Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Anytime, y'all. All right. Where are you? Where are you in Banner Society? Wardam, uh, yeah, Wardam, thanks. Yeah.